Writing is just like riding a bike. It's fun. Start with this, a podcast where the creators of Welcome to Night Vale, Joseph Fink, and me, Jeffrey Craner, discuss a topic about writing and then give you two assignments, something to consume and something to create. Start with this. Don't forget your story. Art is hard. Starting is hard. If you want to start somewhere, you can start with this. You can start with this. Let's say you're a baker, and you're baking a cake, but you don't want just a boring old yellow cake with chocolate frosting. You start thinking about spices, or new sweeteners, or different kinds of flowers, or adding raisins and shit like that. But you're still baking a cake, and a cake needs some pretty basic things, chemically speaking, or it will no longer be a cake. Keep your head in the cake game. Definitely experiment with the idea that failure is an option, but when it comes down to the deadline, it's the morning of the party, you need a damn cake. It needs to look, feel, smell, and taste like a cake. It should probably also sound like a cake, but I'm struggling to know how exactly you could fuck that up. But ultimately, as a baker in charge of creating a cake, you do need to present a cake, no matter how basic, because let's be honest, Even the most basic yellow cake with chocolate frosting is delicious. I don't know if you're a baker, but I know you're a writer. And the same thing applies. You are writing stories. Your story can have all kinds of tricks and poetic backflips and experiments with timeline and point of view, but when you're done, it needs to be a story. Don't forget that part. I know it sounds basic, of course, but you should always be asking yourself what the story is and how you're serving it up. It is the very first duty of any writer. Write stories. I'm Jeffrey Craner, here with Joseph Fink. Let's tell stories. Hi, Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time. Um, I, I drafted this out. This seems so basic when I was putting it down uh, into outline form, the idea that, like, we're a writing podcast. Let's tell people to to don't forget to write a story. But I feel like for myself, I lose sight of this a lot because I just get involved with so many of the other uh, the other tricks of writing. I, I get involved with flowering up a language or, or, or making something a parody or a satire telling jokes. Um, I mean, I wrote down a few things, like things that I do with writing that isn't intrinsically a story. Uh, one is joke telling. We do this with Night Vale all the time where we insert jokes into it. Um, political issues, trying to tell a story that makes us see the world in a different way. Uh, feelings and visual details, a lot of people bog down in that. And clever wordplay and structuring. I don't know, do you go through the same thing too as a writer? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely where the whole idea of kill your darlings comes from, which I, I fundamentally disagree with. Sure, But I, I, I see the point of a lot of times your darlings are those things. The clever bit of wordplay, the really poetic description of a sunset that you found. Um, and those aren't bad and those can have a place but they also can get in the way of telling a story. Um, so I think kill your dar- darlings is really just don't let your darlings eat the story. <laughs> right. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've definitely had experiences where I'm writing something and I, oftentimes it's, it's just, I'll start telling a different story in the middle of my other story. And I'll just realize, wait, this isn't the story I'm telling, you know, that I'm now bogged down in this flashback or these background details of this character and ultimately it's distracting from this locked room murder mystery I'm trying to tell. I'm famous for my locked room murder mystery. <laughs> sure. 
Well, one the the clever word or the the visual details things reminds me of a, a funny little thing that John Steinbeck did in um, his sequel to Cannery Row, which I'm blanking on. It's something Thursday, Sweet Thursday, I think it's called. Um, let's say let's say it's called Sweet Thursday. Sure. I, I actually don't. I'm kind of blanking on the name of it. I, I genuinely, it's funny because Cannery Row is this kind of one of his his more famous books. I, I think the uh, the sequel is actually better. I really enjoy the sequel. Um, but one thing he does in it is uh, he kind of at the beginning is like, listen, uh, one thing I enjoy doing with this region of California is writing some very pretty poetic visuals about it. Um, but that can get in the way of telling a story about characters. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have chapters occasionally that are just me getting real poetic with the landscape of California, and I will mark those. I, he, he has some very, like, 40s or 30s, I forget when he was writing this word, like hoop to doodle or something. <laughs> um, but he just marks them like hoop to doodle one. And then it's just him describing what the Salinas or the uh, Monterey shore looks like for a while. And then he gets right back to the next chapter is just about the characters. And it's his way of being like, listen, I want to have this in here because I think it's pretty writing, but I recognize that it can get in the way of the story. So if you want to skip it, you can skip it. Um, it's interesting that you bring up Steinbeck because I was curious about in writing Alice isn't dead. Uh, and I, I run into a similar thing with within the wires is, is that there's a little bit of, uh, you, you deal with the high concept of what the podcast is that, that, it, it, you know, Alice isn't dead. There are central mysteries. There are central plot points that we are solving and we are getting through. But in a lot of ways, it is a road trip. It is the, a chronology of the people and places we see and uh, along the way. And within the wires is, in essence, you know, starting with that very first season was relaxation cassettes. And so once you sit down to write it, you're like, well, I do have a lot of really cool language that fits the relaxation cassette motif, or I do have a lot of experience out on the roads of America that I have so much to describe. It, in my mind, it's finding that balance and remembering, as John Steinbeck does, that like these descriptions I think are useful. You never want to like remove flowery language or jokes or political messages, um, but fitting them in and remembering at a certain point, I do need to get to my plot. I do need to tell the story that will make people feel emotions. How do you balance that when you were writing Alice? For me, it's 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 always less about balance and more about trying to find a way to let those serve the story. Um, and a lot of that is about choosing your story correctly. Um, so with Alice, a lot of it is I'd start with a drive. I'd start with, okay, in this episode, she's going to be driving across Kansas. And I go through my notes that I made while driving through Kansas of like, here's actual observations and experiences I had while driving through Kansas. What's a good story to tell about this? Well, driving through Kansas, as you might expect, was a lot of just like being on the road and watching this kind of unchanging landscape um, and kind of the monotony of that. And so ultimately, the episode that took place in Kansas became about her driving. And uh, the tension was all about when she would stop driving. And so it became about the road, because that's the material I had for Kansas. You know, I wrote one that was based on an actual beach that uh, me and uh, a couple of the other tour members swam at uh, in um just north of Miami. What's the name of Fort that? Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Um, it was an actual beach that we swam out in the kind of the region right around that. And and so I thought about what is a story I can tell about this beach. And that's where the factory by the sea came by. Cause I just was, it was just this very idyllic isolated beach. And it just seemed interesting to me. Like what if there was a factory just incongruous, incon incongruous. I can't make my mouth. Sure. That. That's you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. there, if there was this factory on this idyllic beach and I built, so I, for the most part, I started with 
here's the place. And then I tried to find what is a story I can tell that plays to the strengths of the details I already have. I was thinking um, we both watched the TV show Watchmen recently and wrapped that up. And I, I sort of struck, there are two episodes in particular, and I'm not going to give spoilers here, uh, but if you have a chance to watch Watchmen and you haven't, uh, I encourage you. I think it's really well done. There's two episodes in there, the the sixth and the eighth episode, and the eighth episode is called uh, A God Walks Into a Bar, which is a bar is the last character, whatever. Anyways, the um, and then the, the sixth episode is called This Extraordinary Being. And here's the thing, without really telling you the storylines of each of those, that episode eight, God Walks Into a Bar, the thing about that episode is, is that I think you'll find if you go on social media and look around online, I think that's most people's favorite episode of the season. It's really emotional and provocative, and there is so much plot that you revealed in that storyline. It is also incredibly intricate in its creative storytelling. And I was thinking about it in terms of when I consume something, the two things I'm most interested in as a reader, watcher, whatever, one, I just need good stories, and two, I want art to do something new. I want it to feel inventive or clever or creative in some form or fashion. But here's the thing. The second thing, the creative creativity, newness, cleverness, cannot exist without the first thing. It cannot exist without a good story. And the thing about A God Walks Into a Bar is that it tells incredible stories, but it does so, does so through the guise of really intricate use of time. It never lets on quite what it's going to do next, but it feels so clear and obvious. But I was thinking going back to the I my favorite episode of the season was This Extraordinary Being which is told entirely through flashbacks in the same way, but in a very straightforward way, as far as flashbacks can be straightforward. And it really just dives into the story and the the cleverness, the, the politics of it, it does some messaging that's a little bit more subtle than what God walks into a bar. Anyways, I was just thinking about that balance and about placing that importance on the storytelling before you place it on the cleverness of creating your script. You know, those two episodes are interesting because... As you say, A God Walks Into a Bar is a much more complicated story. Although, ultimately, it, it's a very complicated story to tell a very simple emotional beat. Like, it's what makes the complication work is that at heart, it is about this simple emotional connection that's happening. And we can kind of keep coming back to that, even as there's a lot of, like, playing around with time and jumping back and forth and revelations of major mysteries in in, in that show. It, it still keeps coming back to, there's this simple emotional connection here, so let's keep coming back to that. Um, at the same time, it's also shot, you know, the, the interesting thing is, it, this is a visual medium, so it's shot in a mostly pretty straightforward way. You know, there's a lot of playing around with time, but each of those scenes are shot pretty straightforward versus this extraordinary being, which is basically a straightforward flash forward. However, uh, for reasons I won't get into, there is some like very dreamlike nature to the way it's shot. There's constantly in almost every single scene, these like surreal visual details and strange dreamlike visual stuff that's happening. And I think the reason they could get away with making the visuals so strange and dreamlike in this extraordinary being is because the story they were telling was ultimately kept simple enough to carry all of that strange visual stuff. We talk about in another episode, in fact, it was the episode we recorded right before this. I don't know what order they'll come out, but we talk about honesty and storytelling. And I think not to go down the, the again, the rabbit hole of what honesty is, but but just remembering as a writer to tell your story first, that the the story itself is the most important part before we start playing around with the 
time shift and clever voices and dream sequences and things like that. All of those things can help you. But I feel like sometimes the bad art comes from the point of view of I need to be clever and creative and new. And we forget about sometimes just baking a cake. You just need you just need flour, sugar, eggs. Yeah, I would go even one step farther and say that a lot of it is just having all those things work together and serve each other. So like with Alice, I did start with often the locations rather than the story. But then the goal was, let me try to find a story in which these visual details in this location serves the story. It was about choosing that. And, you know, similar with A God Walks Into a Bar is a lot of playing around with time. And the reason they could do that is because they chose a story in which that served the story. It was a story that fundamentally had to be told out of order chronologically. Like, it wouldn't make sense if you put it in order necessarily. Um, And so that's a lot of it is not just remembering the story, but being like, if I want to do this technique, can I find a story in which that technique actually furthers telling the story rather than distracts from it? I was just thinking about like the at the at its core, like when I think about just writing a story, like what comprises a good story, and it really does come again. This is so basic, and you know this, but I think it's just I need to remind myself all the time. It's having a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like where does it start? What incites the story? How does the tension build, and how does it resolve itself in the end? I think uh, most good stories have some type of a moral lesson to them, or at least for the characters involved, they they learn something. Um, in the process, maybe that moral lesson is some bigger picture storyline about climate change and, and its destructive path in, in our in our future, or uh, maybe it's just simply that uh, it was just the friends we met along the way. Um, uh, and then, and then I think having those relatable characters, the honesty of, of what that is, and I think for me, it's always a matter of before I get to that level of you know, trying to write something that is as brilliantly constructed and structured as a God walks into a bar uh, is getting to the heart of like, what's just a story I can tell right now? And how do I begin it? How do I escalate it? Yeah. And I think I I have kind of, I think a different generic definition of a story because a story, a good story, at least for me, is generated by the characters um, like the the story kind of comes from the characters. And so, you know, I, I think we've all uh, read books or seen movies where there was someone who was technically the main character, but they never actually seemed to do anything. They were just kind of there and stuff happened to them and they went through the thing and then the movie ended and you're like, what, what were they? Who were they? Nothing happened because they just were kind of bystanders to their own story, um, which is why I think I made, you know, this kind of is probably its own episode, but this idea of making sure that your characters have agency and that they are the ones causing, that they are the ones driving the story forward. So to me, I would say, here's my like basic definition of a story is a character makes a choice. And as a result of that choice, they change. That to me is the most basic story it can be in terms of keeping a gripping is a character does something that is their choice, it is their agency, and they choose to do something, and that choice, the consequences of it, in some way, even small, changes them. And that, to me, is like a story in its most basic form. I think that's a great point. I think it's very rare to have a, a story that is truly compelling where the main character does not make those choices. I mean, uh, I, think, I think, don't know if we've talked about it on the show or not, but it's it's sort of disheartening that it's a great book, but it's very disheartening the amount of influence that Alice's Adventures in Wonderland had on people everywhere because its main character is, is a girl who 
makes almost no choices whatsoever. Everything just happens to her, um, which is very unfortunate, but also very common, I think, for male writers writing female characters. Um, Company by Stephen Sondheim is a brilliant musical, but its main character, Bobby, doesn't really make any choices. It's just everybody singing at him there what they think about marriage. Uh, it can be an easy thing. I mean, we've definitely done this with our own work of just, we've definitely hit things um, where we wrote a scene or wrote a major scene with our main character where we realized, okay, but the problem is, is someone else is making this choice for the main character. We have to find a way that it is the main character's agency that is making this choice. Otherwise, yeah, it just feels like the story is happening to them rather than flowing through them. Yeah, I think I'm um, doing another. I think this is a good plan for us to to do another episode entirely on yeah. agency. I think agency is uh, is one of those things that when you are when you are writing, it's it's such a key thing to come back to. Like, did I, I is my main character actually doing something here? But I think that's a great thing to add to the idea of just the basic. It's part of the basic beginning, middle, and end structure. Is is that your your main character needs to make a choice? They need to activate what's happening. It can't just be an earthquake and them trapped in their home and just being like, well, I guess this is what I'm going to do. Hope it all passes. And then it all passes and we're fine. That's not an interesting story. Uh, there needs to be some escape there. You had mentioned too earlier about, uh, about you know, right, kind of digressing um, background stories. Part of, you know, where I was coming from too is I think background, I think digressions and tangents are really interesting in storytelling. I think they're a way of filling out the bigger picture narrative that you want to fill in. Um, some of it is timing it right. I remember years ago when when Da Vinci Code came, came out, and I remember my mother-in-law and I talking about it. She hated the book so much uh, because she, she said, you know, the chapter would end and like, there's just like whatever villain was there and he draws a gun on the main character and then the next chapter happens and then they're like, 75 years ago in a small village in Italy, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just, I got to read like 80 pages before I find out what happens to this man with the gun. And like, don't do that to me. It's really irritating. Uh, so there is a balance to that. But I think uh, those digressions can be really important. My mom has told me so many times about this. This book made such an impression. Uh, and don't worry about me spoiling because I have no idea what the book's called. I think she's forgotten by now. Um, but it made such an impression that she has told me it's one of these go-to things that she will bring up, how angry this book made her. But she read this book once that was this guy um, meets this woman and they start to fall in love. And then it jumps backwards to his great-grandmother and it goes through his entire several generations of his family all the way up to him. And then it does the same for her side. And then it, um, uh, at the end of the book, she walks out to the street, gets hit by a bus and dies. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> And my mom was just so furious. And that was somebody who forgot to tell a story. They got so involved in getting excited about, like, what if I just, like, we went several generations back on this love story that they forgot that the love story didn't exist, that they never, they, they forgot to provide anything there. And then she goddamn died. The greatest line in the Western canon. I, um, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's some, there's some value to that, those tangents and digressions. And I think, Packing your story full of other stories is, is, I think, a really important part of like long form story writing. That it's not just the plot summary. I think I made a note in here that like you could some, in fact, somebody, several people did on Wikipedia. They've summarized the plot pretty accurately of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice in um, in one thousand words. Um, and if you've read Pride and Prejudice, you can read through that and be like, yeah, yeah, that's the summary of the book. Uh, but it, it misses the language. It misses a lot of other details. I mean, there's a reason why novels are 80,000 words long and most of them could be summed up in 
a thousand words or fewer. Um, it's those stories along the way, those stories within the story, the backgrounds of the characters. There's interstitials, as you mentioned, John Steinbeck creating these like hoop-de-doos or whatever. These. I don't remember what but they yeah, were filling, called. <laughs> filling with details, uh, bringing it back to Watchmen, you know, flipping back through the old graphic novel. Uh, they do the thing where you have the comic book and then the end of each chapter of the comic section, there's like three or four pages of just prose disguised as, as found objects um, from biographies to government documents to whatever. Um, and I think those sort of storylines are really fascinating. I think they break up the flow of longer form uh, storytelling. So when you have a digression from uh, whatever your main story is, I think that that is uh, a great way to do that. I think the question I get into oftentimes is, is that how long do we spend I th describing a scene or telling the moral lesson of bigger picture politics or something of those natures of like knowing how to break that up. So how do you think about when I need to dive deeper into some other story from my main story versus am I digressing too much? To me, it all needs to work together. And some of that, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything needs to add a plot point or a detail, um, but it all needs to, I, I think of like Shirley Jackson wrote this sentence, she wrote this, she wrote an essay about writing and, and the one bit of advice that stuck with me that I've broken so many times, but I still think it's good advice to think about, um, which is she's like, every single sentence you write in a story needs to either move the story forward or tell you something about the character or it shouldn't be there. Um, and it's good to remember that everything needs to work together. And I do think there's room to do a poetic description of the sky, but there's a lot of ways to do that that serves the story. Is it the character looking at the sky? And is, if so, is there a way to make that poetry work to further our understanding of the character and their mindset in that moment? Or is it maybe just helping with the feeling? If we're uh, supposed to be, if it's a horror story, sometimes maybe taking a digression that describes uh, this other you know, small detail that's just kind of off-putting and makes you feel on edge. It's helping with the tone of the story and helping to set the tone. Maybe you go between like a character who seems to be living a normal life, but then we get these digressions that are kind of horrifying. And even it, it, it puts this atmosphere on the other stuff that makes it feel different. Um, I had an example. Of, oh, uh, so an example from our own work, we have a book coming out. Uh, called The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Her Home. And in the first part of that book, I wrote these sections that are just what things smell like. Um, throughout the first section of the book, I insert these bits where it's like, here is what an orange tree smells like. And I did my best. I sat outside in my backyard in California uh, next to an orange tree, and I did my best to just kind of describe what I was smelling. Um, but those each had very specific relation to the plots for me. Um, and maybe that won't be apparent to the reader in a immediate concrete way, but I do think the atmosphere, each of those sections of smell were for me tied to the next section of story. This is the story that is tied to this smell. Now this next section of story is tied to this other smell. And so those smell sections, even though at first glance they weren't part of telling the story, they were setting the tone. They were almost like title cards for each next section of story. Um, we talked right before this episode about, before we started recording about um, Hell House LLC and one of the most upsetting movies I've ever watched, and it stills with me. But um, it's it's a great horror movie. It's it's really really good at being a horror film, and it's so effective. But the the story of the movie is not quite as 
necessary as what it's trying to do. The What it's trying to do, in fact, is the story itself, which is, I'm trying to scare the pee out of you. Um, and it does that very effectively. Um, but within all of that, it's not the overarching. The overarching story is people start a haunted house. It truly is a place where people are going to get killed one by one by something haunting it. Um, and that's really the plot. <laughs> and people, the main characters getting picked off one at a time. But it's all the little bits and pieces. It's just... It's the person versus the haunting thing, scene by scene. And I think breaking down into those little, in each of those individual stories, almost like a series of short stories, um, are so compelling and so terrifying. And there's also, you know, okay, talking about Hell House LLC, going back to my formula for a story of just like a character makes a choice and it changes them. There is those moments of characters. There's, you know, the, the guy who's in charge of the haunted house keeps making the choice to keep the haunted house there, even when things start getting quite scary and spoilers for a movie where the story does not matter that much. It's because he's as is often in haunted house, he's broke. And so he can't afford to move the haunted house, but it's, it is this little aspect of he keeps choosing to stay because he's desperate and, and that changes him by putting him in a haunted house. Um, and each of those characters have that, um, you know, there's the, the woman who's his partner who stays because she cares about him. Even as things get scary, she makes the choice to stay. And so there's these little choices that are made throughout that kind of drive that story forward. Well, there is so much more to uh, story writing, uh, but we are going to stop with this episode. We will do a future episode on Yeah, agency, we'll probably do I a think. part two. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, there's, there's so even more, more on this outline of... of there's I think we, we can do another whole one on this. So much there. Um, we'll, we'll take a break and come back with some assignments. Hello, Joseph here. I have two books coming out this year. Seriously. May 11th, 2021. The first 10 years. Two sides of the same love story. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me and Meg Bashwinner, MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship year by year without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then on July 20th, 2021, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you are a fan of what I do, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. Welcome back. We are going to do your assignments. Let us start with our consume assignment. Your consume assignment this episode is the short story Husband Stitch by Carmen Machado. It is a short story that has something to say. It has a bigger picture political message to it. Um, But it is still this really incredibly, incredibly compelling, really heart-wrenching story. Um, It also is a series of tiny stories. It is a short story with a dozen short stories within that short story. Um, and it's amazing how the how this writer, uh, how Machado manages to make all of them about the same thing. All of them kind of keep curling back into the main character story. And it is the main character telling these tiny stories uh, within and without. Uh, I just want you to read through this one because I think it's a, an incredible short story. And two, I just want you to sort of pay attention to how she's uh, deconstructing, I think, uh, urban legends and old stories and repurposing them for her own. But every little story has 
some bit of lore that brings it back to our main character's quest. That sounds fantastic. Uh, For our create assignment, uh, unsurprisingly, you are going to write a story. Specifically, you are going to write a 200 to 400 word story. Cap yourself at 400 words. Let's be efficient. The idea is not to try out other forms of writing. The idea is just to get the most basic story possible. This is the outline of your story. A meets B, or A is already with B, you decide. A loses B. A makes a choice that brings B back. And now A and B are back together, but they are different as a result of that choice. Um, So it's just the classic kind of romantic coming apart and coming back together. But do remember that, uh, at least for me, every story does need a choice that changes them. Um, So try to find a way to work that in. It's one of the most classic and overused story structures, this A meets B, A loses B, A makes a choice that brings B back. But this is your architect's chair. It's your most basic training exercise. Tell that story and think about what makes a good story. Be clear, be concise, remember a beginning, middle, and end, and remember a choice that changes the character. Thank you all so much for listening to our show and for doing these assignments. We hope you enjoy both your Consume and Create this week. And please share your Create assignment on our membership forum. If you're not already a member, please go there and check that out. Give us, Ask us some questions. We'll do bonus episodes where we answer those. And I think uh, you'll meet a lot of really cool people writing a lot of really cool things. That's all for this episode, but your assignment is just beginning. Head on over to startwiththispodcast.com to join our membership community. Becoming a member allows you to share your assignments with other listeners, talk about what's sparking your creativity, and find future collaborators. Plus, you'll be able to ask follow-up questions about this and future episodes and gain exclusive access to episodes where we answer those questions. Membership is just $5. That's half a beer at a sporting event. Start With This is a production of Night Vale Presents. It's produced by me, Jeffrey Craner, editing by Grant Stewart, mixing by Vincent Cachione, theme song by Joseph Fink. All other music is by Caged Animals. Find more at cagedanimals.net. Very special thanks to Adam Cecil and Christy Gressman. Check out nightvelpresents.com for more information about this show and all of our other shows. Thank you for listening. So let's wrap this up. Uh, let's. Uh, we always leave you with a nice uh, adage to live by. Um, as they always say, uh, birds of a feather totally Are eat salads together. together. Yeah, that's it. Thank that's you. That's it. Thank you so much. Hello, iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lovelin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep-dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your eye broads, eye casts, pod broads, and podcasts. I think I like pod broads the best.
I'm a real pod broad myself.